Hello, and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. And welcome, everyone, to That Girl is Poison. (laughs) Are you all wearing goofy hats to celebrate the birthday of Jenna and the proclaimed return of her sight? This episode has many gifts for us. Hannah wearing sweats, Aria having a confrontation with Dark Lucas, Spencer being hell-bent on some flower investigation, and Emily being a bad date, but most importantly, Paige McCullers, touching all of the cupcakes in search of an elusive coconut wand. It also features the introduction of a long-term irrelevant character. Hi, Pastor Ted! Oh my god. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's so much. This is a this is a funny episode. Like this is like PLL I feel like at its at it at a goofier at a goofier mode than we often see. Like there's some genuinely almost slapsticky moments in this episode and uh yeah, it's a good time. I'm excited to talk about it. I totally agree. It's really really fun and it's so interesting to watch it and feel how fun it is. When you think about the fact that what's in this episode is almost entirely filler. Like there's one there's one plot point that matters a little bit, but everything else is is really just uh, completely irrelevant in the larger scheme of the story. It's true. It's true. It it feels like this is a mode. Um, this is a a mode of PLL that is they don't do a lot of, which is these kind of. Like, often I feel like the filler episodes are not very enjoyable. Like, they just kind of feel like filler. But this is a filler episode that is, like, wildly enjoyable. Like, it's just a fun <laughs> time. It's, it's a romp. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we get to talk about it. Because it's, it's, like, a lot of funny dialogue. I think that Lucy Hale should have gotten an Emmy for this episode. She is doing fantastic physical comedy in this, in this one. Lindsay Shaw is doing fantastic physical comedy. Um, it's it's really good. Yes, yes. High high marks for sure. Should we dive in? Yes, yes. Let's do it. Uh, shall I? Shall I bring us? Take us to the beginning here. Yes, please. Okay. So the liars are leaving. I believe it's Emily's house um, at night, mi- minus Hannah who we learn is very much still in mourning re the Caleb breakup. Arya, of course, has taken on the guilt of this whole situation because that's what Arya does when couples around her break up. Um, And basically the liars just talk about how tense they feel, how awful the situation is. Spencer can't brush the back of her head. Arya is not even hungry anymore. They name the various things that could get them arrested. Allie's body, the pictures from, uh, from the lost from, uh, from that night. Um, the many things that they put in Allie's casket that could come back to haunt them. And then they hear sirens. An ambulance pulls up to Garrett's house and his mother is wheeled out on a stretcher. Aria sees a hoodie watching and uh, Spencer posits that the A wanted uh, Garrett's mom out of the house and set this whole thing up. Yes, this is uh, this is like our weekly recap of the stakes that we get early in this episode where they talk about all the things that they could go to jail for 
if someone found out and how they're going to be going through many motions to prevent them from being found out. And we also get like another indication that this A is not playing around. This A might be a little bit more deadly than other A's. Last week, uh, they ran Caleb's mom off of the road. And now uh, here they have uh, also done perhaps some, you know, A shenanigans uh, to imperil Garrett's mother. And also, yes, I, I agree that the this day feels more intense. Um, Aria, I think it's Aria who refers to to she doesn't actually say a she says I see a hoodie and I feel like we're getting more of the liar speaking in the terms of like an a team versus a singular a entity. It, and mm-hmm. I definitely noticed that in this episode and the idea of like a hoodie versus just the singular a. Agree, agree. Uh, the next day on the street we have Aria and Prezra. It turns out that she is buying him food because he has nothing in the fridge but a lime, and the lime is growing fur. Uh, He is ungracious and emasculated by the turkey bagels that Arya is providing for him. And uh, one of the things that he says to her is, I have my savings, which is, we know, bajillions of dollars because he's a Richie Rich Fitzgerald. This might be a nice moment to tell her that, but he doesn't. He just makes her feel bad for trying to do a nice thing for him. Uh, and then as they're about to get in his car and drive off, who should Arya see but Dark Lucas, who she is going to have a lot of photography-based interactions with this week. Uh, but she notices him uh, not very like quietly or subtly or seeming like he wants to keep it hidden, uh, he he's like loudly banging on the door of a photography studio, shouting that he wants his stuff back. Oh yes, Dark Lucas. Dark Lucas is like not not made of strong enough stuff to be dealing with all of this, all of these shenanigans that he's gotten himself involved in. Is he? He's really not, especially since it seems like what he needs is to get into this particular space which he could pick the lock he could break a window he could like there are many options available to him but he really seems like like banging loudly and then later menacing aria are his two best ideas well you know i mean this is this is lucas who tried to get caleb's money back through like online gambling or whatever so it's dark lucas but it doesn't mean his ideas may be darker but they're not any better exactly exactly if anything they're just stinkier (laughs) um in the courtyard one page mccullers does a very hilarious u-turn at the sight of emily on her phone in the middle of the courtyard uh but emily flags her down saying that she's been meaning to call page page immediately seems on guard Uh, But Emily invites Paige to the Katy Perry movie, which it's funny to me how in two episodes we've had references to two music artists, uh, lest we forget the Bonnie Vare of last week. It's also funny to me that they're like going to the, you know, she's inviting her to the Katy Perry concert movie rather than like a Katy Perry concert. Um, And also just like the I kissed a girl of it all is funny to me as well. Um, Emily lists off what was surely a tagline for this movie, a behind-the-scenes look at Miss Firework. Don't you want to know what makes her sizzle? Insidious, too. Even more insidious than the first one. Uh, 
so yes, there was perhaps some cross promotion going on here. Paige looks like an absolute deer in the headlights and she reluctantly agrees, noting that Emily hasn't talked to her since Emily cuts in saying that she's had makeup tests that, you know, this isn't personal. This isn't about Paige. Um, and Paige seems to get that Emily either doesn't remember or isn't wanting to talk about the kiss that we'll find out they shared later, which is why Paige is being so awkward here. I mean, other than her general Pageness, um, Paige agrees to a fresh start and uh, they're distracted by the sight of no longer pretending to be blind Jenna swanning through the courtyard. Paige goes on and on about how wonderful it is that Jenna can see. I mean, Paige and Jenna will have a moment on the Halloween train. So, you know, there's some seeds being planted here. Um, what do we think of... Uh, there's going to be a lot of what do we think of Paige in this episode. What do we think of Paige's uh, choice to not to not tell Emily, to not talk to Emily about the kiss? I mean, do you think that she just thinks Emily is... Do you think that she knows that Emily doesn't remember at this point? No, I think that she assumes that Emily is emotionally ghosting her. And also that's very like, it's very Emily to kiss someone and run away. True. Like that it's doesn't very seem... page. That was how yeah. they, first, that was their first interaction. Yeah. It's like their thing. So, yeah. and plus no one on this show ever talks about kissing anyone on the show after they kiss them. Uh, so it's, it seems like just another Tuesday in Rosewood. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that tracks. Uh, the thing that I have here in my note is that Emily is inviting her to the Katy Perry movie, which is the next night. She's asking her out with like 24 hours notice and mentions that Hannah's a big fan, but she has a lot of stuff going on. So she's inviting her out on short notice and mentions that it's because Hannah canceled. It's a good thing for Emily that she is hot because that's nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that this is where, like, Emily, Emily's just sort of obliviousness to the way she moves through the world really comes into play because Paige is clearly, like, attaching a lot of meaning to this as one would and as a character like Paige would. And Emily, like, you can t I feel like Emily is sort of just, like, maybe this could be a date. Maybe it's not a date. I'll just kind of see what happens. I just want to hang out with Paige. Like, we agreed to be friends. And so, like let's not worry about anything else. Like she's just not really, she's everything's a little surface level for her right now. I think that's true, but I think that it's pretty clear that Paige thinks it's a date. Well, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they did have that whole, that whole like, you know, coming to Jesus moment in the season two finale when they were like, let's be friends. And then we don't really know how their friendship manifested over the like, many the months that Emily was home before she left you know for Habitat for Humanity um presumably they probably didn't have much contact um I feel like somebody at one point wrote a fic that was about that that was about like Paige being there for Emily in that time period that was really good and felt like it filled in a lot of details on their relationship hmm yeah I would boy I would love to read that um, on to the Marin kitchen, we have Ashley and Hannah. 
Hannah is bereft over the breakup and she is wearing a gray t-shirt and sweats. This is like down market from Hannah's normal pajama wear. Like normally, even when we see her in pajamas, they're cute pajamas, they're coordinated, they're like silk. Uh, but this is uh, this is just a sad, sad look for her. Um, she is, you know, kind of using her clothes to match her internal pain. Caleb, she declares, has left her. Uh, he's not answering her texts. He's in California. All she wants to do is listen to sad songs on repeat. But Ashley forces her to volunteer for a church clothing drive rummage sale uh, that Ashley herself has to help with uh, for the bank. And Hannah uh, kind of reluctantly agrees to do that. And then pretends to leave for school going out the patio door and then the moment her mom is out of the house she slides back in and sits back down at the counter to stare at her phone some more if i were the parent of one of these liars i would develop a compulsive habit of constantly leaving the house slash room and then immediately going back in two seconds later just to see what they're up to because it's always something and it's always that time frame it is it's like it within a breath they just like they they just completely change course yes hannah's outfit here is going to get talked about a lot i feel like i mean it's totally a hannah downgrade outfit but like i almost feel like she needs to be in like an oversized sweatshirt and like unwashed hair piled up on her head and like really ill ill fitting sweatpants because like she looks cute like you know it's it's like a t-shirt that fits her like but it's it's definitely not a normal Hannah look for sure I love when some like uh, there's the episode when Spencer has been wearing her clothes for like 72 hours and the liars make her change into a spare outfit that Hannah has at school and everyone is like <laughs> like that's a joke in itself that Spencer is dressed like Hannah so I like it when the costuming kind of like reveals these jokes like everybody is shocked because Hannah is not high fashion sad Hannah is wearing sad sweats Yes. Yeah. I, I like it too. Um, I think it kind of would have been, maybe it would have been a little mean, but I think it kind of would have been a funny thing if like the clothes that she was wearing were too big because they were from like the hefty Hannah days and she hasn't worn them since. Or they were Caleb's. Or they were Caleb's. Yeah. Or they were Mona's. I was just going to say, or they were Mona's. <laughs> maybe that's why the shirt fits her so well. Mm. So... Uh, Spencer and Emily are watching Jenna in the courtyard. Jenna, who is continuing to swan around and appears to be passing out some invitations. Emily wants a confrontation, but Spencer has some intel. Uh, she reveals that Lucas was banging around at the photography studio. This is the photographer that Aria apparently has this, like, big relationship with that we'll hear about throughout the episode, Laurel Tuckman. Um, the new theory, did Lucas take the photos in the graveyard, which I don't think that that ever comes back up again after this episode, or if it does, it's like not at all relevant. Um, Spencer has learned that Garrett is being let out to say goodbye to his mother. Emily is furious. She says, we have no power. Who cares what we think? Uh, Spencer thinks that this is all just an A setup to get Garrett out of jail. Mona might not be the only person in Rosewood who owns a black hoodie. Just then, Jenna comes over and hands out invitations to them for her birthday party. Spencer stares at her unblinking um, and is like, what the hell is this? Jenna has a really interesting line. She says, I feel a lot safer when I'm in charge of what happens to me, which is played as like this like mysterious, terrible Jenna line. 
but is basically exactly what Emily and Spencer have been saying about themselves in this scene, like two seconds prior. Yeah, I love it when they put uh, they put words that apply to the liars in the mouths of the liars antagonists. And this is a really great example of it. Uh, Spencer is like, she's confronting Jenna. She's like, you know, I thought we had a deal. You needed protection. Like they were very mad that Jenna had been pretending to be blind, but now they're equally mad that Jenna has announced to the world that she's no longer blind. So the the source of their anger is a bit muddled here. Uh, I think there's a little bit of projection that just might be going on just a touch. Um, But I also wanted to say that uh, I really like the trope that in Rosewood, everyone passes out handwritten invitations for all social events. Like Mona did this for Camp Mona. We've seen a couple other instances of it. And here Jenna is again, just like these lovely embossed envelopes, like not even one for the whole liar group, but like specific ones for each of them. Uh, It's just very, uh, it's very nice. And I like the comedy of Spencer and Emily. Like they're talking about serious things, but at one point Spencer calls Jenna uh, a Thanksgiving float. She says she's been... (laughs) She's been gliding around the school like a Thanksgiving float. And uh, also, when Jenna is coming over to them with envelopes, Emily kind of says, like, what's inside them? <laughs> Spencer suggests that it's anthrax. <laughs> so they're, they're really getting some laughs out of their uh, particular bad situation here. It's, it's very true. It's definitely very true. <laughs> uh, over at The Brew... Uh, Emily is being forced to work the following night uh, for the the party that Jenna is having at the brew uh, because her pointy-faced manager uh, is saying that they're going to be overwhelmed and he is going to need her help. She cannot have the night off uh, for pain of being fired, despite the fact that it seemed like she already had the night off. So I don't really know. Uh, anyway, he also forces her to take decaf over to where Jenna and the photographer... Laurel, what what was the last name? Laurel Tuckman. Laurel Tuckman uh, is is sitting, uh, and she overhears Laurel Tuckman discussing the fact that uh, she has fired her assistant for theft. He was stealing, developing his own work on her premises, and now she's holding his negatives hostage until he reimburses her. Uh, Nate comes in visiting Emily at work yet again every single shift. Uh, And right now he is mad, mad, mad about Garrett and the compassionate furlough that's going to allow him to visit his dying mother. Emily, for literally no reason, is a lot more chill about that now. Uh, Nate is somewhat interesting here uh, because he's so angry. He's so angry about Garrett being let out. Uh, Is this a situation where he's mad at himself for killing Maya and is now saying that Garrett doesn't deserve to be breathe free air again, or is it really all just part of his performance? I don't really know what Nate's deal is in this scene because there's also this way in which he seems to be kind of testing Emily, like he wants Emily to be as mad as he is, um, and I, like he's going to show up to her work and make a big old scene about it. He's just going to be making scenes through this whole episode. 
Um, I I don't really know what he's after here. I mean, maybe he's just trying to like further prove his loyalty to Maya. Um, I took the note that Laurel Tuckman is a wacky photographer lady who feels like she just stepped off the set of Gilmore Girls. Like she has she has this very like Gilmore Girlsy like Miss Patty or Babette energy. She does. Uh, she does. But she also sort of seems like the kind of wacky photographer that Arya might aspire to someday be. Like, you can kind of understand why Arya seems to have, like, yes. a lot of affection for her. And there's also this way in which she feels like she could be, like, Mona in a coconut oil mask. Like, she almost, <laughs> she almost feels like just, like, a giant caricature. Like... Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, Mona herself is not in this episode, so it could be Mona in a coconut mask. It could be uh, Cece with a Mona mask on and the Allison mask on over that, and then this Laurel Tuckman mask on over the whole thing. Uh, there are a lot of possibilities. But Emily uh, asks Nate to hang out while she's still on the clock, and then we see him exchange an appraising look with newly sighted birthday Jenna. So is Nate, because we learn later that, and maybe we need to table this conversation, but we learn later that like Jenna saw Nate and like basically could have potentially identified him as Maya's killer. Um, And that Nate did not know that she was sighted at the time. So is is this all a performance, like his flirtation with Jenna? Or do you think that there's, that he's, like, I, I was trying to kind of figure that. Is that true? Is that, does that wind up being true that Jenna could see and could have ID'd him? I thought it did. Because there's that whole part where he's like, I know you saw me. I know you saw me. Um, like, we're going gonna... <laughs> to, we're going to have to table that till okay. we get there. Because that's one of those things where I'm just like. Yeah, we're, we're going to have okay. to wait till we well, get there. I well, don't know. I think we'll take the flirtation at this time at face value. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Um, either way, though, like, they have no chemistry, as we'll see later. But Oh, the, the heterosexual uh, attempts at chemistry in this episode, oh. especially coming on the heels of Ashley Ella last week, it's all, it's all very limp, I feel. <laughs> limp is a good word for it. We're past that it's concerned. <laughs> Uh, not to make any assumptions. Uh, over at the Hastings house, Arya is telling Spencer about her attempts to buy Prezra food and his man-baby rejections of them. I'm still paying for it, she says, because Prezra is absolutely insufferable. Spencer says that Prezra is not a baby squirrel, and every time you baby squirrel him, you're taking away his nuts, which feels like a sanitized version of something Carrie would say on Sex in the City. Um, there is a very funny moment where Arya gets a text from Prezra and uh, Spencer's like, did he find his nuts? Which, good on you, Spencer. Good line. Um, we learned that Prezra has now been invited to Jenna's birthday party because he was probably sleeping with her too. And Arya is now officially invested because her boyfriend is involved. Um, we learned this whole time Spencer is on a laptop and Arya at the end of the scene like kind of calls her out for like, how can you keep doing homework? And we learn that this whole scene, Spencer has been trying to break into her mom's email uh, to find out what time Garrett is being released because she thinks he's visiting A at the hospital and plans to just like camp out there. 
um, which I don't think is a thing that you're really allowed to do at hospitals, and see if she can spy who he, who he's meeting with. Yes. Oh, man. Um, it's interesting that Arya spends a lot of this episode trying to smooth things over with her man-baby-boyfriend. Uh, because there's this scene where she's talking to Spencer about uh, his reaction to her buying him food. And then she's also going to be talking on the phone to Emily about it at the end of the episode where she's trying to make up for uh, mm-hmm. another perceived uh, perceived slight that she will inflict upon him. So, boy, what yeah. a... <laughs> What a walk through the flowers it is to be involved with your adult male former English teacher. Uh, just a just a real walk in the park, that one. I took the note that Arya and Ezra feel very Hannah and Sean this episode. Like, in terms of, like, this is, like, a classic Hannah and Sean thing, I feel like, where Hannah would be, like, off doing something and Sean would just be, like, in the corner stewing about why she wasn't paying attention to him. Well, you know, I felt mad about Prezra in a different way than I'm usually mad about Prezra in this episode, because I feel like we went through 101 conversations of the two of them being like, if only we could go out like a regular couple instead of having to constantly hide doing things in towns that are like three towns away. And here... Uh, in this episode, they are both invited to a party being thrown by one of Arya's peers. Uh, but then they fight over whether or not they're going to go to it. Wouldn't they rather have dinner in a town three towns away? It's weird how it's just like they're just out as a couple now. And it's like not really that big of a deal after all of the buildup about how they could never, ever be out as a couple. Oh, my God. I of all the PLL parties, I would love to go to Jenna's I Can See Silly Hat birthday party. It's not a masquerade. No one almost dies. Aria is showing up to the party with the former English teacher as her date. So, like, gossip would just be, like, buzzing all around. Paige touches the cupcakes and, like, really has a, a whole, like, there's just so much going on. There's so much to talk about. Um, I, I would love to go to this birthday party. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Paige McCullers is touching all the cupcakes. Like, it's a good time. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Arya's, Arya in this party, like, we'll get to it. It is so funny to, to me the way, like, her her just, her energy just cranks up and up and up. Um, yeah, culminating in her pulling an iced tea all over somebody's kitchen. <laughs> Oh my god. I I can't wait. So uh, prior to the party, in Emily's bedroom, Paley! Um, Paige is there and she is on the phone calling to reschedule their movie tickets. Uh, Which I love that Emily invited Paige on a date with less than 24 hours notice, then cancelled the date, uh, but is making Paige call to like reschedule their tickets, like giving her the emotional and physical labor of doing that. And also uh, that now they're going to still have like a, a get together. That's not a get together where Paige is going to go to a party while Emily is working. It's this whole, it's, it's this whole dramatic thing. Uh, But you know, Paige is invited to the party. She's going to be there. Uh, She helps Emily with her clip on tie and they have a moment where like the clip on clipping 
gets very it, it gets very sexy. They have a moment. Emily like backs off, uh, has Paige look in a different cabinet for a different tie for her. And uh, while she's doing that, Paige finds Emily's flask. To which I say, who would keep the flask just in a cabinet with Pam Fields in the house? Also, Emily didn't even pour the booze out. (laughs) That's so Emily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But Emily wants no more to do with the flask. And so she uh, offers it to Paige if Paige wants it. And Paige is like an artifact that was living (laughs) here in the bedroom of Emily Fields. I'll take it. This touched Emily's lips? (laughs) She is, needless to say, very into it. Oh, my God. So I just, I have a lot of questions about this clip-on tie situation. Like, so (laughs) first of all, like, this is the cater waiter outfit. She's a total queer look alert because Jenna's no fool. Jenna's like, (laughs) you'll be catering my party. I have notes on the fashion situation. Um, I think Jenna, like, must not be totally on her game. She's got a lot to plan because she didn't include suspenders in the look. So, you know, it's okay, Jenna. She, she just got her sight back. She, just she, got does, her she doesn't want to be greedy. Exactly. It might just, like, reblind her, the sight of it, you know. Um, <laughs> and so I don't know why they didn't just make this a regular tie that Emily couldn't figure out. And what? then she has to go put on the clip-on tie because a clip-on <laughs> is literally... It's in the name. It's a clip-on tie. And I love Paige so clearly not even trying at all, like trying to put the clip-on tie and staring at Emily. And I love the line that Paige has here. She's like, this is harder than it looks, which is like, obviously, a clip-on tie is not harder than it looks, Paige McCullers. But trying to just remain friends with Emily Fields, that might be harder than it looks. Um, So... mechanics of the clip-on tie it's so funny and then the the reveal that like emily's like this tie is too short anyway i have another tie somewhere in my room and i'm going to go off and find that yeah emily is so gay that she finds it easier to like tie an actual tie in a knot than to just clip on the clip-on tie which is like not a difficult proposition (laughs) for anybody but these two right like toddlers wear clip-on ties i mean i yeah there are like yeah, I my job when I was in high school, I worked at a movie theater, and our uniform. Uh, I worked behind the concession stand, and sometimes as an usher. But we always had to wear little ties with our uniform. And there was one that was like a tie that you did tie. There was one that was a little bow tie that like clipped together, and then there was a clip-on tie. And the clip-on tie was like nothing. Like you just like grabbed your neck and squeezed. Like not much yeah. to it. Not girls. much to it. <laughs> well. They might be a little distracted. Yeah, Paige is like, my finger is touching the nape of Emily's neck. And she's like, she's like electrocuted. She can no longer, her, her neurons can no longer fire in this moment. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, back over at the brew, cousin Nate is rather performatively sketching buildings as Jenna escorts Laurel Tuckman out of the brew. Uh, Jenna drifts over to him, complimenting his sketches and very forwardly asking if he ever draws people. Um, I'm assuming that as soon as we cut, she asks if he can draw her like one of his French girls. Um, and <laughs> they smile at one another. Uh, yes. And is this where she invites him to the party or do we not know until I he gets there? I think we know, like, as, presumably that happened 
30 seconds later. Okay. Okay. Um, do you want, that was a very short scene and it involved Cousin Nate. Do you want to go over to Hannah's also? <laughs> sure. Thank you. I'm much prefer <laughs> to talk about Hannah than Cousin Nate. Um, so Hannah arrives at the Hastings house. Uh, Spencer wants to know if she just came from yoga. Hannah announces that she's too depressed to work a zipper. Um, Aria is weirdly like crouched on the stairs talking to Emily on the phone. Um, Hannah is very upset at the fact that she's now for sure working the rummage sale after Ashley caught her skipping school. I mean, what did you think was going to happen, Hannah? This wasn't <laughs> the best, you know, hide and seek. Um, there's this funny back and forth about the shock of seeing Hannah dressed like this. Ar- Aria's like kind of overcome by her own surprise. Spencer's like, let's move on. Um, Aria kind of fills them in on the, the new info about Jenna's party and the expanding guest list. Spencer decides that, that this new information must mean that Lucas was the person taking the pictures, which I feel like they already sort of decided earlier in the episode. Like, this is, again, like a filler episode. There's a lot of, like, restating the stakes, you know. Um, Hannah disagrees. She says that he isn't strong enough to even, I think she says, lift, lift his chemistry textbook. Um, and she thinks that they should stick on the Jenna train. They think, they wonder, why is Garrick being released the same night as Jenna's party? What's going to happen at the party? Arya wants to go, not like for mystery reasons, but just because she likes parties. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I love uh, this particular part of the episode where Hannah is, she says that she's wearing sweats because she's too depressed to work a zipper, which is like not a very high energy endeavor, but okay, Hannah, you you save your spoons. Uh, Also, they decide now that it's Jenna for no real reason, even though in the last episode they decided it wasn't Jenna also for no real reason. So it, it's really just a shell game at this point in terms of who they would prefer. Um, also, I think it's interesting. I do not know. We don't have any scenes that are all the liars together in this episode, do we? Because there's a lot of phone yeah. calls. Hannah wasn't in the earlier scenes at school, and now uh, now Emily isn't here in this scene because she's at work. I actually looked up because I'm, you know, only a, I'm a normal amount of obsessed with these things. <laughs> um, whether Ashley Benson was filming Spring Breakers at the time of this episode because it felt like she was weirdly like not in a lot of the episode. Um, I could not get concrete data on that matter, but. They did come out, like, within a year of each other. Um, so I think as season three goes on, we should see whether Ashley Benson is, like, less present. Um, oh, that's... Yeah, well, it's very rare to not have a scene that's all four liars together. Right. So I felt like that was, you know, that was notable. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's also very rare to have a party and not have all four of the liars there. Like, it's weird that two two of the liars are at the party and two are, like, doing totally different things. Yeah, it's definitely a testament... Uh, to how intrigued Spencer is by this flower situation that she doesn't go to Jenna's party purely for investigative purposes. I had totally forgotten that Spencer didn't go to the party. I think in my memory of this, she did go to the party. Um, But yeah, there's just, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that party could have contained Spencer's energy with everybody else's manic energy as well. Well, Arya is doing the work of like 10 people in all of her scenes at the party. So you know, they're, they're covered. <laughs> okay, at the rummage sale, Hannah is snobbishly sorting clothes under extreme protest. 
this charity work is not bringing out Hannah's best self. Uh, exposure to clothes that she finds uh, less desirable and less than fashionable uh, is is really making her look. She's like touching all the clothes with like just two fingers and looking at them like they might bite her at any moment. <clears throat> Ashley arrives and uh, goes over to talk to her a bit. Uh, she asks if Hannah has eaten. And this is also, uh, we know that when Hannah is under stress, uh, her eating disorder sometimes comes mm. back into place. So Ashley asking about this and also Hannah having skipped dinner with the liars at Emily's house in the opening scene. And there's commentary at that point that Hannah uh, didn't, didn't eat. So this is, uh, this is Ashley maybe being a little bit on the alert for that. Uh, she says they just put out some food. She'll go and see what she can find for Hannah. Uh, unfortunately, what she does find is one Pastor Ted, who I guess we don't know is a pastor yet. And we also don't know that he's Charlotte's father because we haven't even met Charlotte, the ostensible antagonist of everything that has been happening up to this point. Uh, but still, uh, Pastor Ted and Ashley have some awkward heterosexual banter. Yeah, and, and I'm just going to come out and say, I don't like Pastor Ted. I never liked Pastor Ted. I don't think I ever will like Pastor Ted. He, he, he has a, I don't like him. I don't like him. He has a weird vibe. He seems really insincere to me. He, Ashley seems like she's way too good for him. I just don't like him. Well, I feel like I don't necessarily have to like him, but I have to at least kind of understand why Ashley likes him. Yeah, and I really don't. I mean, granted, I am I am queer, but like, there are guys on the show who I'm like, okay, I I understand. Like, I understand the charm of, you know, Doctor McSketchy, Ren Kingston. I I understand that mm-hmm. he is very charming. Uh, you know, Jason De Laurentiis's abs. I understand why people will like go out of their way for that. Pastor Ted, I don't find him like physically mentally emotionally or spiritually (laughs) compelling i find him very dull on all possible levels yeah he's basically he basically feels like a jolly version of kenneth de laurentis in a lot of ways maybe that's fair but yeah i he just is he's just very flat i just feel like he has he has really like no no particular point of view or personality. He's just like, he's essentially a plus one, I feel. Like Ashley yeah. plus one. So now there's Pastor Ted. Yeah, I agree. And he's just, he's not, he's not who I would want for Ashley, you know? Do you feel like physically, do you think he looks a little bit like Tom Marin? Um, Maybe a little bit. Like... Kind of. I mean, I have pretty intense male face blindness a lot of the time, so like, <laughs> probably not the person to ask. But um, I, yeah, I mean, in the sort of same vague way, like I could see how a younger version of each of them would look kind of similar. It's super weird too how he's Charlotte's dad. Like that's just a, that's just a weird a weird element to his character that we. Like, we never, uh, like, obviously, we, we can't really deal with it now because it wasn't even a twinkle in the writer's eye minds at this point. But it's just, it's like a weird thing that, knowing that now, it's like, that's a weird thing that you know. Oh, you, you, you don't think that's part of the plan, that he was going to be the father of the antagonist who we haven't even met yet because he had an affair with the, the twin sister of a character 
the the twin who we also haven't even met yet. You don't think that was all part of a, a big master plan there, Fina? <laughs> going on a, on a limb there. I know, I know. Controversial opinion, but that's my hot take. Yeah, <laughs> I think that I think that they made him Charlotte's father because it was like. He'd been around for so long, and he was so incredibly irrelevant that it was like a last chance, like, just, like, throw something at his character <laughs> so it'll matter, and it, it still doesn't matter at all. Well, I mean, in some ways, it's, it is like a saving grace, because it means that Charlotte and Melissa are not are not relatives, which, True. you know, True. I guess, thank God for small favors, but, like, it's also such a weird thing, because pastor ted and ashley i don't think they even get back together at the end of the series so it's like why Why? no i don't i don't even think they have any scenes together after the jump no all i remember is that in the scene where they reveal this they misgender charlotte like a bunch of times in the way and it talks about her and it's a reveal to hannah i think hannah goes and talks to him which sure (laughs) (laughs) Sure, why not? Well, I mean, also, like, related, that, like, Lucas, doesn't Lucas have a whole history with Charlotte that we find out about? Yes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We got it. We got it. We got to pull back from the brink here. We got (laughs) it. Okay. It's like, Um, it's like in Firefly when they talk about people who've been to the edge of space and stared into the void and go mad. We don't, we don't want to become Reavers. We don't, we don't, we gotta, we gotta ground ourselves here. Ground ourselves in some Sparia. Um, Aria is on the phone with Spencer while petting Prezra's lime. Gross. Uh, Prezra and Aria are apparently going on a date not in Rosewood. And, of course, Prezra didn't take her mention of Jenna's party seriously because he doesn't take her seriously. Um, Aria kind of spins this yarn about how she and Jenna, you know, their conflict is history. And if Jenna wants to include Aria in her new life, Aria wants to be included. Um, again, I must ask, like, what is the public perception of Presria's relationship at this point? Um, because they're just, like, holding hands at the party. Like, here we are. Well, they did dance with his his mask off in yeah. the end of last season. And then there's, like, ap- been absolutely zero public fallout. But then I feel like there's times upcoming where it's, like, they have to, they're, like, more private about their relationship. Like, when he's interviewing back at Rosewood High so I don't know that's a definite inconsistency nonetheless this is high school so like any public confirmation of their relationship would just set the town ablaze I feel like really small town yeah yeah Yeah. like this town where people are constantly taking pictures of everything and sending them to people yeah yeah um I mean Laurel Tuckman probably got a whole bunch of shots (laughs) of of them dancing at the party um, so this little speech that Arya gives really gets Prezra's motor going, and he pulls out a badly wrapped present to hand her. Inside is some kind of fancy vintage camera. Arya is speechless. Prezra does the kind of dick move of saying you're welcome before she said thank you. Yes, yes, you're welcome for this gift that you didn't ask for that I have stuffed into a paper bag and thrown a ribbon on. <laughs> and basically oh. thrown at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and which I'm giving you to, like, distract you from a discussion about whether or not I take the things that come out of your mouth in a serious way. The answer, yes, is no. And also, this isn't, like, 
pre- they're acting like this is like some big anniversary or big. I mean, I get that like he got the job and that's why this is all a celebration. But it, I don't know. It's weird that he's giving her giving her gifts and whisking them off on fancy dinners. Yeah. Oh, I think he's just giving her this gift because he felt emasculated about oh, the sure. food earlier, and so he's like, "I want to prove that I have money that I can spend on you," uh, which you, you do, you man, baby. <laughs> yes. Uh, over at the hospital, Spencer watches Garrett under guard, buying flowers for his mother and writing, bom, 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 a card. <laughs> uh, she is narrating these events while on the phone with Emily, who is at work. Um, Spencer thinks that the card is highly suspicious because coma patients don't read. Uh, Wilden appears and menaces Spencer a little bit. Uh, I think this is a bit of a waste of Wilden, honestly. Uh, and also, I'm curious as to why Spencer doesn't then suspect that Wilden is the person that Garrett is meeting up with. Good question. Yeah, Wilden, basically all he does in this episode is vaguely menace Spencer and walk in and out of elevators, which is also the thing that Garrett does. But um, yeah, it's 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 inter- he does have a, a, a line that I like where... Spencer lies about picking up her test results and Wilden is like, you used to be a much better liar, which I, I, I kind of like. Wilden, like, I don't know if he always feels like a worthy antagonist, but he's, an, he's a compelling antagonist. Yeah, well, it's almost as if with Garrett now being arrested, they had to have a different police antagonist for the liars. Right. So they brought Wilden back. But like the last episode we saw him in, he was just like, he was just like, doing a cruise by menace who was like he was like driving his car and being like how far is your parents lake house asking for a friend you know and then he yeah. like we haven't really gotten into like the meat of wilden intimidation uh and, and we've now seen him twice so he's he's back but he's feeling a little bit watered down to me so far yeah i i agree his his like what he's doing here is not really clear and it's interesting because like this season and the beginning of next season, um, Wilden is going to be a pretty important character. Yeah, well, it's also interesting. Wilden, uh, as we come to know in the fullness of time, is aware uh, that the liars are innocent of killing Allison, and he's aware that Garrett didn't kill Allison. So I wonder, like, what is Wilden thinking at this time? Does he want to get Garrett? Does does he want to get Garrett free? Does he not care if Garrett goes down? Because then someone will have gone down. Like, what What do you think is Wilden's plan at this point? Uh, I think Wilden, like a lot of these sort of tertiary antagonist characters, is really just used where it's convenient. And there's not a whole lot of thought about, like, I, I, I am pretty much certain that they did not know that he knew about Allison's murder at this point. Um, I do think it's possible that it had been decided on that he was potentially beach hottie slash somebody that Allison might have had an affair with at this point. Um, And that was always like a lot of Allison's dalliances with older men. That was always to me an interesting character note for Wilden and something I wished would have been fleshed out more. Um, And so I guess that doesn't really answer your question, but. I don't, I think that he's just kind of sniffing around and seeing if the liars are going to drop some clues that he can follow up on. Because I, I think Wilden is always looking for something to, to, to grab the liars on. 
Yeah, yeah, that's probably a correct pick. Yeah. Um, Jenna's Party, which has a, like, maybe Alice in Wonderland, but definitely <laughs> hat theme. <laughs> he hats, what's it, hats? Cats and hats, little fascinators, caps, like, just, it's, 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 it's a hat party. I don't know why Jenna was like, in order to celebrate my newfound site, hats, but it, it's, it, it works. Like, it, it's ridiculous. It's as if the thing Jenna missed the most <laughs> during her time of being blind was hats. Like, she just longed for the sight of as many different types of hats as possible. <laughs> well, and what's what's great to me about this is that no, at no point in the episode did they state that the theme is hats. You just keep seeing people in hats, and so you're like, wow, that's sure a lot of hats. Right, right. We're assuming it's a party theme, but it's also just possible that when Rosewood folks go to a party that's not a masquerade, they compensate for the lack of masqueradeness by wearing thingy hats. Like, that could just be a thing that spontaneously occurs. It totally could be. Either way, I'm delighted by it. Um, Paige McCullers arrives at this party in a very queer look of her own. Uh, button-up, a vest, a crocheted beanie. Um, and also, weirdly, the waitstaff are not wearing hats, which feels like a strange choice. So she runs into Emily, hatless, but wearing a tie. Um, they kind of smile and lightly flirt at one another. Emily says that she's glad Paige is here. Already there's a sense that Paige might be a little bit out of her element because she's like, I forgot to bring a present, which seems to occur to her just at this very moment and suddenly cousin Nate walks in and Paige's alarm bells rightly and instantly go off especially when Emily explains that he is Maya's cousin and Paige kind of sees the way that that uh, Emily is looking at her um cousin Nate is also wearing a stupid hat he's wearing a little like page boy cap that looks very dumb with his outfit um I'm not sure if Paige is supposed to come across as I think Paige is kind of supposed to come across as both jealous and maybe a little bit suspicious here. Um, in the next scene, in the next Cousin Nate scene, I want to I talk a little bit more about this whole dynamic that is brewing because I have some questions. Do you know who I think could pull off the, uh, I, I looked up this, oh, it's a tweed flat cap is the type of pretentious hat that Nate is wearing. And do you know who I think could really pull off that hat? Uh, Alex Drake. <laughs> yes, I would have said Alex, I would have said Spencer, and I would have said Mona. All three of those oh. characters could pull off this. Mona might even have a hat that is similar to this hat I that we will does. see later on in the series. Uh, or that we may have already seen. But yeah, uh, his hat is terrible. It would look way better on any of those characters. If the waitstaff were wearing hats, what type of hat would you have assigned to them if you were Jenna? I kind of think it would have been funny if they were just like wearing yarmulkes or something like that. Was <laughs> such, a, such a weird and culturally specific choice. Um, I think maybe like a like a top hat would be kind of fun. Uh, I was thinking that the top hat with the ties would have would have been nice. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that that would have worked. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't know. Or like. Yeah, maybe berets, maybe a little like a little black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, if Spencer had gone, do you think that she would have worn 
her sleuthing beanie or do you think that she, i mean i'm we've seen spencer wear so many great hats mm-hmm. what hat do you think spencer would have worn to the party okay so i think it's between sleuthing beanie her her cloche hat that she wore that one scene um or perhaps a beret of her own um mm. which sounds like spencer's version of a room of one's own a beret of one's own um i think maybe beret just because it feels a little bit more i don't know like festive or something i don't know what do you think are you uh- not wearing a hat I just would like to point out yeah yeah oh when we get to it yeah she and Ezra are like the total uh the total dullards of the party they are like the only people there who were invited but are not wearing hats and so when he's when he's sitting poutily by himself he looks even more out of place because he's not wearing a hat um yeah very sad see it Laurel Tuckman also seems like she's wearing a hat and she seems like a person who always wears a hat. Like she seems like a real hat lady. Yeah, like even if she did not have a hat physically on her head, existentially, she's always wearing a hat. I would I would take that one to the mattresses. So I'm sorry, I totally cut you off. Which hat do you think Spencer would wear? Oh, I was wondering uh if she would wear like a really like a big slouchy beach hat like she wore to meet Jason in the stadium that one time uh so that it would like hide her face on occasion so that she could like so that she could like pretend to be like a statue or something like almost like a Carmen San Diego kind of hat yeah yeah okay okay yeah yeah I I I like that I like that idea very much uh oh so yes I'm so, do we have anything else to say about the hats or this part of the party <laughs> I don't think so. I have, like I said, I have more to talk about in a minute, but I want to get through the next little bit first. And then, and then I have questions. <laughs> okay. Over at the rummage sale, Hannah is still doing her, like touching everything with two fingers routine uh, until she finds in a donation bag, the very gray jacket that Emily was wearing that night. It has appeared here at the rummage sale in a donation box. Hannah panics and stuffs it into her bag that she brought with her that apparently doesn't contain anything else because, like, all the space inside is taken by this this squished-up coat. Uh, Pastor Ted sees her doing this and then makes her pay $20 for the secondhand gray jacket. Uh, And then Hannah immediately calls Emily on the phone uh, to say that she thought she and Spencer burned all those clothes. Yes, I think that um, I don't I can't remember. Hannah at one point says something about how like she has an inventory of all of the liars closets in her brain. And I can't remember if that line comes as a result of this whole thing or something else. But I, I love that as a recurring character trait that Hannah like Hannah knows her friend's closets. Like, don't worry about it. Well, true. And Emily was her roommate for like right a lot of the last year, so she's definitely going to know what that jacket looks like. Totally, totally. Um, speaking of, Emily is walking around with a tray of food when she walks over to cousin Nate. He says that he got a last-minute invitation. He makes more eyes at Jenna, calling her intriguing, clearly trying to make Emily jealous. He says he wants to know more. Um, Emily insists that Nate doesn't want to get to know Jenna. Paige watches this whole exchange angrily and uh, pulls the flask out of her back pocket to spike her drink. 
Um, so Paige's observations and upsets regarding Emily and cousin Nate here. Um, Paige knows that Emily is gay. So is she upset that this is another connection to Maya? Can she sense Nate's creeper vibes and thinks Emily is into it? Is she hurt that Emily is paying attention to someone else? It feels like we are supposed to read this, like, will they, won't they energy into Nate and Emily, like, via Paige's reactions that isn't really being contradicted by anyone, um, like, talking about Emily being gay, which is fine, except that Emily has never really been portrayed as having much sexual fluidity. So it's just kind of, it's totally feels a little weird to me. What are your thoughts? I agree that it's weird. Um, Paige seems to be suffering from the uh, like the biphobic flu that was going around when Emily found out that uh, Maya had dated a guy um, and, and was threatened. Uh, it does seem like Paige, like the thing that Paige notices here uh, originally when Nate walks in is that Emily's attention slides right off of Paige and onto Nate. And mm-hmm. I think that what Paige is picking up on is the way in which this guy would like to be a proxy for Maya. He would like to he would like to be like the the representative for Maya in Rosewood and in relationship to Emily Fields. And I think that Paige is picking up on that in a way that Emily is not yet. I agree with that. I think that this is another moment where Um, Nate being a woman would make more sense. Like it would be much more sort of obvious. I think one of the things, one of the many things that bugs me about the whole Nate, Emily, the way that that storyline is portrayed is that there's almost this sense that it's like Emily's gayness be damned. The fact that like, it's like this like weird compulsive heterosexuality kind of comes in in this weird way where it's like we're meant to feel like there's tension between the two of them because he's a man and she's a woman. But like, the, I don't know. I can't quite pinpoint it. And I'm not sure if I'm fully articulating what I mean. But there's something about it feels like it's not necessarily being true to Emily being gay. Nor is it like... um talking about like the potential of Emily being sexually fluid or bisexual in a way that feels like at all respectful to that experience either. I definitely agree with that. And I feel like one of the issues with that is that Emily, the writing is really unclear as to what's going on with Emily. Yeah. I I think that she's just grieving Maya and she sees Nate as a connection to Maya, Yeah, but she never says that. So it's like the writing is not clear Emily never really says herself in this part what's going on with her. No one ever asks her to clarify. And also, um, the, the acting choices are a little unclear uh, yeah. from, from Shay Mitchell. So I, I think it's a combination of those two things. Like, later there are times in the show when, like, when she and Spencer go on that college visitation and Spencer calls Emily out for flirting with the mm-hmm. recruiter... Uh, and Emily is like, you know what, you're right, I'm gay, I'm not interested in him. So that's like a restatement of of Emily's gayness. And during the Cousin Nate thing, I think the restatement of Emily's gayness that we get actually comes from Hannah. Uh, yes. Because Hannah knows what Hannah means, and Hannah knows what Emily wants, and it's not this dude. Um, but yeah, it's 
it's an interesting choice, and I agree that we are supposed to pick up on. Uh, we're supposed to think that Paige is reacting to a chemistry that she's observing here, but that doesn't totally work because the chemistry is not observable to us. Right, and like based on the things that we know about Emily up to this point, we like theoretically wouldn't be observing chemistry between her and this dude. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's all a little muddled. And I actually, like, I think that there's elements of that that could work, you know? It's just, this is not the show where that is necessarily going to work. And, like, the complex exploration of, like, somebody's sexuality and, like, how people grieve and all of that and, like, transference and all of that, this is not the show where, like, that's really going to get its due time. Right, Oh, well, like, spoilers for the L word, like, a great example of transference is when <clears throat> Dana dies, and then Alice takes up with another of, of Dana's uh, former girlfriends, because they're, like, grieving together. Um, but yeah, you, you don't know that that's what this is. And, like, just to just to say it, like, in real life, you can identify however you want. Like, you could identify oh, as a lesbian and potentially have attraction to, you know, primarily women, but sometimes men you can identify was bisexual or sexually like you know however you identify is how you identify the question that we're really kind of going into is like what exactly is happening here with emily uh as relates to this to this storyline but like yeah i mean there's there's no gatekeeping there's no test for like who you can or can't like uh in order to be queer uh but you know i hope for everyone who is listening uh just that none of them wind up dating secret sociopaths such as cousin nate <laughs> Totally, totally. Yes, and thank you for clear, like for stating that outright because that absolutely, absolutely is true. I think one of the things that that feels troubling to me about this is that um, it feels like there's a little, not not that this is not the point of the storyline, but there's just a little bit of that energy of, um, you know, Emily is a Emily is a lesbian, but she just hasn't found the right guy, and that cousin Nate comes along and it's like here's the right guy, you know, and that's not what's happening but there's there's just a little bit of that that feel that undercurrent well cousin nate is hoping that that's what's happening and and Paige seems to be fearing that that's what's happening so there there are definitely undertones of that playing out in this scene for sure right right even if it was a thing where in emily's grief for maya she was trying to be more like maya and was sort of exploring some sexual fluidity like that could be an interesting storyline or emily feels like she was in love with allison and allison got murdered she was in love with maya maya got murdered like i think it would not be unreasonable for emily who was raised in a religious environment to start feeling like you know to, to start getting a little confused about all of that and feeling like it was these feelings which then caused the bad outcome. And so maybe she needs to like try something different, like just because right. just because of that, um, you know, which is a, uh, obviously that's like, that's not logical thinking, but emotions aren't always logical. So there are a lot of ways that this could have gone, but the show does a really poor job of trying to explore them. Yes. Agree. And, and what the, the what they end up coming up with feels sort of, unfair to the three queer women involved in the storyline emily maya and Paige, and jenna and jenna and jenna yeah absolutely so anyway 
sermon over. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Oh, 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 great. So I get to take over at the party. Oh, so exciting. The next thing that happens at the party is Presria arrive, not wearing hats, but holding hands in total open confirmation of their illicit relationship. Uh, Flash bulbs do not go off. Like, conversation does not immediately stop as everyone starts whispering to the person next to them. Uh, But uh, they do come in and they say hi to Jenna. Uh, And Jenna makes a remark about hiring Laurel because she wanted someone who could record every second. uh, That makes me wonder how much she does know about Mr. Fitz and his recording every single thing that happens ever in this town. Uh, as soon as Jenna starts talking to Prezra, Arya like instantly ditches him and runs off to go talk to Laurel and put herself in contention to be Laurel's new assistant. There's also a stupid plot happening about the cost of the camera that Fitz bought for Arya, but it's too ridiculous and I simply cannot. <laughs> So, you know, what's so funny is I was, you know, taking my notes on the scene and I, I wrote this honestly surprised Arya doesn't lead with, you know, that man over there. Yeah. He's my former English teacher slash current boyfriend. And he bought me a new camera. And then Arya says basically exactly that. And I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness me. Like that's so Arya indeed. Um, yeah. Arya says Laurel Tuckman's name to Prezra. Like he's going to know who that is and be very impressed. Like she's like, Babe, it's Laurel Tuckman. Like, ever heard of it? Yeah, she's also, she's acting like Laurel is a big celebrity, which is weird because Arya herself took a class from her. So she's someone that Arya, like, already knows and has a relationship with, not someone that you need to first and last name constantly because you're so, like, starstruck about meeting them for the first time. Do you think that Laurel Tuckman is supposed to be Annie Leibovitz and they just like couldn't get the rights to use her name or something? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like maybe they had to dub in Laurel Tuckman over like every single time someone had said like Annie Leibovitz. They just needed like the syllables to come out right. Because she kind of is. She kind of looks like Annie Leibovitz, I feel like. Like and a little bit the way that she's styled. So. Hmm. Hmm. An interesting point. Interesting. Interesting. Do you think um, that Laurel do you think that Laurel is queer? Oh. Um Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> You're like, why not? She's real zany. She's always wearing hats. Do you? Um I Yeah, well, when you said when you said that about how maybe she's supposed to be Annie Leibovitz, like, she's queer. She's, like, the partner of Susan Sontag, right? Um, I, yes, I'm pretty sure about that. So if she is supposed to be uh, Leibovitz, then I would say uh, she is probably also supposed to be queer. And I guess her outfit does look kind of like Paige's outfit. Yeah. So you are you are right. Yeah. About about her her partner. Um, Yes. Her outfit does look kind of like Paige's outfit. I don't I. Yeah. I don't know that Laurel Tuckman. Laurel Tuckman is an enigma. So Paige drifts into the kitchen under the guise of offering to help Emily, but instead snarks about Nate 
Emily drops and it's complicated. Um, and Aria rushes in just then. She clearly senses the tension between Paley. Um, but Paige makes a no friend zone comment and uh, kind of backpedals out of there. Oh, Paige, Lucas is not a good look on you, my friend. Um, also, I think that Arya is a Paley shipper because she is the one who pointed out the mistletoe in season five. And I feel like has had some other like Paley shippy moments. Um, Arya has a very wild look in her eyes. And she grabs a giant glass of iced tea out of Emily's hand, identifies Laurel Tuckman's camera equipment, which is weirdly just hanging out in the kitchen, and goes over and dumps the glass of iced tea all over it. I love Emily in the background, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Aria will not be stopped. She is a runaway train, and she is taking everyone down with her. Well, now, here's the thing. Emily tries to shoe paint, like... Paige comes back and she asks Emily if she needs any help. And Emily's like, no, no, my boss would be really mad at me if he caught me hanging out while I'm supposed to be working. And Paige is like, oh, well, he wasn't mad when you were hanging out with that Nate guy, which, true. Right? Lucas is not a good look, but that is, like, a true thing. And Emily tries to pretend like that wasn't hanging out, even though it clearly was. Uh, and then when Aria arrives... Like, Emily does not give Aria the I can't hang out right now line that she just gave Paige. Like, Emily is exuding a complete willingness to hang out with Aria, uh, which Paige definitely picks up on. So, I mean, Paige is not handling it well. She's not using her words in a really productive way. But I do think that she's right. I, I do think that she's right to be kind of calling Emily out on this a little bit. What do you think? I think, I think that's true. I think I'm just, like the term friend zone has become so loaded and I know that she's like, they're kind of, they're kind of doing a play on words where she's like, there's a no friend zone, but like there is that element of like Paige kind of saying that she feels like she's being friend zoned by Emily. Oh, uh, oh, hmm. At least that's how I interpreted that line. Um, and so I think I just like, I so cringe at that phrase um, because it, you know, I don't think I need to explain why I cringe at that phrase. Um, but yeah. I, and I also think that like, it, it's clear that Paige didn't just like come back here to offer to help Emily. She came back here to like find out the deets on cousin Nate, but I can also understand why she wants to find out the deets on cousin Nate. Well, yeah, but also Emily is like, Oh no, my boss will get mad if he catches me yeah. hanging out with you back here. But she doesn't tell Aria, my boss will be mad if he finds out my friend came back here and dumped iced tea all over the expensive photography equipment that for no reason is sitting back here in the kitchen. <laughs> Laurel Tuckman's equipment, lest we forget. <laughs> uh, I know, but like Aria's a liar. Like liar rules don't apply. <laughs> or I should say the rules don't apply where liars are concerned. Like they, they, it's, it's their own code. Um, but I, I mean, Ari is wearing, like, an invisible anarchy hat. She is just, like... <laughs> Ari is, like, going to kill a man tonight. Like, she's gonna, like Just she's... to watch him die. She is out of control. <laughs> she is. She is just, like, she is so amped up. There's a part later in this episode where she comes into the kitchen and she's, like, out of breath. <laughs> just not because she's been running, but just because of tr sheer adrenaline. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, she's, like, Ari is trying to... Is Arya Mona in a mask? <laughs> They're about the same height. I... <laughs> yeah, she, wants, 
she wants a lot less to do with Prezra than usual. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. That's true. It's it's just I like when Arya is pushed to the brink because she like she kind of doesn't like she's not good under pressure, but she also like the way that she makes snap decisions sometimes is really um is really like a sight to behold because she's so often like not in these high pressure situations. So it, it's really wonderful when she is. Oh man, you got that scene with Paley and Zany Aria, Zaria. Uh, and now <laughs> I have to go over to the Hastings house. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, where Spencer's there. Toby shows up. They do a little bit of trash talk about Jenna she pumps him for info on what exactly his parents know. Uh, she calls Toby the most honest person in town. Ugh. This is a filler scene in a filler episode, and it culminates with doing some filler heterosexual making out. Yes, yes. Um, I like how your description of that scene was like a tenth of the length of the actual scene. Um, I do not blame you one bit. Um yeah, yeah, there's, 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 yeah, all this conversation about Jenna faking her blindness. I also had a note that I didn't read out that said Toby's lips, ew. <laughs> so if you feel I need to flesh it out a little bit more, there's no extended. I, I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, like, we're going to hear a lot between now and... Um, the big like Tobey reveal in the end of season three about like what a what an honest person Toby is isn't he just an honest stand-up guy like isn't he just the best and then after the whole betrayal they start doing that again like they're like he is the most honest guy like we were right all along and it's like no uh, well, and he's already, he already pretended to hate Spencer for, like, a whole half season. Right. Also, Jenna, I would not call Jenna the most deceitful person in Rosewood. Like, that feels like a oh, real no. characterization of Jenna. Ezra Fitz, maybe. Um, and oh, even, or, or Mona. Or Mona, exactly, yeah. But Jenna, I mean, Jenna really has not lied about that much, you know? I, they, she gets she gets characterized as always being this this consummate liar but like she doesn't really she really does not lie all that much uh yeah anyway back at the party Paige pours herself more booze Prezra is mad that Arya ditched him she doesn't want to leave she says Jenna can see now she'll know we left before cake which is such an Arya line and also not really how blindness works um Prezra brings up their reservation man this guy will not let a reservation go I mean we remember a few episodes ago when Arya like literally got arrested and Prezra was still like no that dinner reservation I think we can still make it um but Arya runs off again I really kind of enjoy their dynamic more when they're acting like Hannah and Sean I gotta say yeah I I really agree when it looks like Arya cannot get away from him fast enough Yes, yes, exactly. It's it's pretty fun. Uh, so Jenna and Nate seem to be hitting it off when Jenna spies Paige McCullers drunkenly touching all of the cupcakes and poking at them with her bare finger in all of the frostings. Jenna, who has been like sort of, we've been describing her as like, 
gliding and swanning around for most of this episode. Uh, here, she just, like, stalks right over. Jenna is doing a lot of movement because previously she had to, like, her movement was all, like, kind of shuffling and with the cane mm-hmm. and the tap, tap, tap. So Jenna's movements are, like, so graceful in this episode. I really enjoy it. She stalks over to uh, where Paige is getting into these cupcakes uh, and demands to know what Paige is doing. Uh, Paige declares that she is looking for a coconut one because the vanilla ones are gross. Uh, Emily just, like, pops up instantly and tries to hustle her away. Uh, she offers her coffee, which leads Jenna to ask if Paige is drunk. Paige retorts that she's not drunk, she's just hungry, and that Jenna's cupcakes taste like old pennies. Descriptive. Um, <laughs> Emily, Emily again, uh, continues to try to intervene, and Paige rightly calls out, Oh, really? Now you have time for me? Uh, this is like the only episode where Paige really notably calls Emily out on these patterns. And so it's it's sad that she's like doing it just under the influence, but and, and that she won't remember any of it because these questions would be helpful for her later. Uh, but Paige then tries to get Emily to dance. Uh, and in doing so, knocks over a giant pedestal with some statuary on it, which sends her sprawling onto the floor and gives her a bleeding cut on her head. Cue Emily and Nate gathering her up uh, to get her out of the party and to seek medical care. Yes. Yeah, this is, oh man, this is, this is a, a hard to watch and funny scene all at the same time. It's also funny how memory works. Like we remember this scene being about coconut cupcakes when in fact the coconut cupcakes are quite elusive. Pages fingers <laughs> in all the vanilla cupcakes. We, we don't know if there ever were coconut cupcakes. Like, right. is this a metaphor for the journey of a queer person in a world that is geared towards straight people? Is all of the straight chemistry that they're trying to mill in this episode the, the dirty penny taste <laughs> that will not leave Paige's mouth? Oh man, that that sounds like a thesis statement right there. I like is it. Is she is she just trying to draw Emily slash Jenna's attention to her frosting covered fingers? I mean, a lot. There are a lot of levels. There are a lot of levels. Is the coconut cupcake like the Ella Ashley chemistry that we saw last week, and the vanilla cupcake the Ashley Ted thing that we're being force fed this week? Possibly so. I think so. Also. If Paige, I'm assuming it was the frosting that was coconut on the cupcake. And I kind of feel like had Paige found one, she would have just licked the frosting off and <laughs> yes. put the cake part back. So, <laughs> Yeah, she seemed much more interested in the frosting. Yeah, you yes. know, I mean, you know how I am about, about PLLC. It's like when Lucas just picks up a cup at the party and drinks from it. And I'm like, oh, germs, gross. Yep. I, I would eat one of these cupcakes. I would eat a cupcake that Paige McCullers had like pot a little bit wow that that is really that that really shows your love of Paige. i mean that's does. that's real that's real commitment <laughs> um so back at the hospital which is like the the meeting spot of this episode everybody's popping up at this hospital um hannah arrives and uh i guess hannah is here to see spencer because she thought that spencer was here but also to like sit with emily oh i thought that she was coming to give Emily the jacket, but she expected that Spencer would also be there at that time. Okay, I think that you're right. I think that you're right. 
Um, Emily introduces her to Nate, who totally doesn't get the hint and has to be invited to leave under the guise of getting coffee. Um, Hannah is looking for Spencer. She's probably been watching Grey's Anatomy during her breakup and thought they could reenact a Calzona scene in an on-call room. <laughs> it's scary. Um, she hands Emily the old jacket. Emily confirms that it is, in fact, her jacket. Um, they think that A planted it at the rummage sale. Uh, Hannah wonders where Emily might have left the jacket that night, but of course Emily doesn't remember. They ponder why Jenna wouldn't have just given it back, and Emily is now wondering if maybe Jenna wasn't the only person she saw that night. Um, Hannah gets a text from her mom. She has to go back to the church. Cousin Nate arrives with coffees, only two, so he must have just, you know, assumed that Hannah would leave or that he'd make her uncomfortable until she did. Um, and uh, we see Emily notices Wilden and pulls out her phone. Yes. And then we cut back to the party where Prezra is a grown man sulking in a room full of teenagers. And you can just see him feeling like, ugh, this party is beneath me. I'm so out of place. Well, you know what? Then maybe you should date someone your own <laughs> fucking age my dude like yes it is weird yes you should feel ostracized but you're feeling it for like the wrong reasons you're feeling mad because your your you know teenage girlfriend is not paying you enough attention but like man when someone tells you are who they are believe them and he is telling us all right here so he's sulky aria goes behind the scenes claiming to be looking for Emily when she runs into the pointy-faced uh, manager. Uh, then Aria, who I think this is the part where she's like out of breath in the kitchen <laughs> from all the running around <laughs> that she's been doing. I mean, she says that she was looking for Emily. I think that her method for looking for Emily must have been to like run around the perimeter of the party like five times and then end up in the kitchen, um, which is what she's now done. <laughs> Prezra finds her in the kitchen and they start having a fight, uh, which includes him springing some news about how their dinner was a celebration about a job that he got that he had not told her about. So Emily is now gone. Her friends are in the kitchen. They're having a fight. Laurel comes in at that moment to find that her memory cards are all wet. They've been doused with iced tea. And this whole thing is very odd because every time we've seen her shooting, it's been with an old-timey looking camera. <laughs> but this leads <clears throat> this leads to Aria being able to offer to run to her studio and get her a replacement. Oh my god. Yes. This is like Aria has these like giant, giant wide, unblinking eyes when she offers this to Laurel. Laurel's like, I can't ask you to do that. And Arya's like, you're not asking. I'm offering. Um, in a voice that suggests that she will brandish a knife and start cutting a joker smile on her face if Laurel says no. Um, this is where I took the note that Lucy Hale really does deserve an Emmy for this episode. Um, yeah, Arya's hired. Prezra, of course, is even more mad um, and says that he'll cancel the reservation. Arya insists that she'll be right back. Oh, my goodness. Oh, gosh. These two. So now over on Main Street, the mystery music plays as Aria lets herself into Laurel's studio. 
Uh, she finds a bag helpfully labeled with stu- with Lucas's name, like his <laughs> name, his address, his student ID badge. His social security number is probably on there, too. Um, she pulls it out and starts sorting through the bag, finding the negatives as a shadow passes behind her. Outside, Aria locks up uh, the studio, but Lucas <clears throat> jumps out in front of her. He pleads with her to let him inside, but she refuses. He blocks her way, and then Prezra arrives in the car, um, pretty sort of obliviously asking what's going on. Lucas literally runs off and makes there. <laughs> How did you feel about this confrontation? Did you feel like Dark Lucas is a worthy antagonist for her? No, because he sounds like he's about to burst into tears. <laughs> Aria, just drop the keys and everything will be okay. Like he just he no, I do not feel like Dark Lucas is a worthy antagonist. What about you? No, absolutely not. I mean, there's no aura around, but I do believe that uh, I do believe that Arya could still take him. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, and she also has that bag full of equipment now. Like she could just whap him over the head with it. Also, I feel like she probably doesn't even grab Laurel's proper equipment. I think she just gets Lucas's stuff. Yeah, I think so too. I think she's gonna be like, "Oh no, there was iced tea all over everything. I have yeah. no idea how it happened." Yes, exactly. She's just like she's just like carrying around a, a bottle of iced tea with her. Well, also, I was like, I was on the verge of a coughing fit, so I didn't really go into the whole like Laurel shooting with the old timey camera. Everything we've heard about is about these negatives and about developing and about using their yeah. resources, and yet Laurel needs memory sticks. This is really weird. Good point. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Laurel Tuckman, she we can't we can't understand her. We can only we can only we cannot, thing. We cannot understand her ways. Aria probably just called her and was like, Laurel, I realized you're shooting with film. And Laurel was like, <laughs> Oh great, I'm fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it, darling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Back at the hospital. Emily tells Nate that she and Paige had dated previously, which he clearly does not like. Spencer arrives, ready to investigate the flowers once more. Nate, upon seeing Garrett, punches him in dramatic fashion, which allows for Spencer to sneak into the elevator during the chaos. Paige emerges, having gotten stitches. She reveals that the doctors did a talk screen, and she had a sleeping pill in her system, uh, which I think they call uh, melizaplam. She does not remember anything. It's all a blur. Emily says nothing to her, not a single word of reassurance. Yeah, they like neither one of them. Like neither one of them know what to say to each other here. I guess because like ne- neither they both should probably apologize to each other, and neither one does. Yeah, they don't even plan for whether they're still going to go to the Katy Perry movie. What of the Katy Perry movie, everybody? <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> that Ms. Firework. What, or don't you want to see what, what, what makes her sizzle? Okay, let's talk Paley for a moment here. I don't generally subscribe to the theory that like the fault lines of most relationships can be traced so far back to the point that they're evident like even on the first date. But I will say that all of the Paley fault lines are now clearly present. Paige has been put in a physically and emotionally vulnerable position because of Emily's circumstances. Emily's running not even hot and cold, but warm and cold with her with a consistent emotional distance. Uh, Emily's constantly deprioritizing 
their situation in favor of the liars and other people. Is this the moment in hindsight that Paige should have known it would never be a healthy relationship? That is a great question. And I think everything that you're saying is true. Um, and, and I think, unfortunately, the nature of the liars' lives at this point and for most of the series, maybe all of the series, is that there's so much living in the life or death. There's so much living in the sort of, uh, you know, dealing with this bad guy, but, oh, we'll solve this A, we'll solve this mystery, and it'll all be over. It'll all be good. That there's always sort of that that possibility that something could be better. And the way that Emily behaves in her relationship with Paige isn't necessarily seen as like a pattern of behavior or, you know, a, a habit of, of how she treats Paige. It's just seen as, you know, completely circumstantial of like, we're in this circumstance now, but things have the potential to get better or Emily really cares about me or whatever. Like there's so many rationalizations that either one of them could throw at it. Yeah, I think that Paige really believes in the idealized version of Emily, like the Emily that she's had in her head, you know, the whole time that she was like coming out and hoping that Emily was like her prize on the other side. Uh, and that Emily probably treats her a lot better than actual Emily ever does, you know? Well, I agree. And what I think is is really interesting is Paige believes in the idealized version of Emily the way that Emily believed in the idealized version of Allison. And the way that Emily treats Paige is very similar to the way that Allison treated Emily. That is very interesting. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that was always an element that I wished the show had explored a little bit more because this weird thing kind of happens to Paley when they like officially become a couple where there's a lot of issues in their relationship that are just like we we can see them on screen, but the characters don't seem aware of them. And Paige and Emily are just kind of treated often like this happy go lucky couple until they aren't, you know, um, and especially when Allison comes back, it seemed like there was really the potential to kind of dig into all of those dynamics and like the way that Emily may have um, sort of subconsciously imitated Allison in the way that she treated Paige um, or the way that maybe Emily, because um, I think that's something that we see time and time again with Emily is that when somebody actually wants to be with her, she loses interest. Um, and I think that's really interesting because with Allison, there was always the, Allison was always playing the, am I actually interested in you game? Like always kind of stringing Emily along. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that, I mean, I guess that this is what, what fic is for, right? To explore, to explore all of those dynamics. And I also think that one could easily extrapolate that headcanon into Allison and Emily, sort of an explanation of Allison and Emily's eventual breakup at the end of the series that once Emily actually had Allison, it, she didn't, she didn't, she couldn't really stand still with her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think standing still <clears throat> in her relationships is going to be a struggle that Emily Fields probably has all of her life. Yeah. Do you think, like, do you think that that has to do with her, her dad being in the army and sort of leaving the family a lot and kind of e Emily, Emily really relating to her dad in a lot of ways? Well, I think that, I think that that is, possible but I think that um I think it's worse than that and I think I think some of it is Allison's fault and and some of it is her 
her parents' fault and some of it is Emily's fault for not getting herself into therapy. Um, but uh, I think that it is that Emily on some level doesn't really feel like she's deserving of love. Like when she came mm. out and it seemed like her mom's love was so conditional and how Allison always made it seem like her affection was very conditional. So I think that Emily kind of absorbed some of that messaging and I think that it makes her uh I think that it makes her always have one foot out the door in relationships because she wants to leave before somebody can hurt her in the way that Allison's leaving did yeah yeah that makes sense that makes sense and and actually really you know when she keeps talking about Maya it's like she and I think she even says something earlier in this episode about Garrett, when she's talking about Garrett's mom, at least Garrett got to say goodbye. You know, she wants somebody to hurt the way that she hurts, whether she's saying that or not. I think that that's, that that's apparent. Um, and maybe is sort of subconsciously recreating that hurt in Paige um, regarding her relationship with Allison and Maya. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, so Spencer sneaks into Mrs. Reynolds hospital room and pulls out the note card from the flowers. We see that it's just a nice note from Garrett to his mom. But then Spencer notices something sticking out of Mrs. Reynolds' medical ID bracelet. And she pulls out a note that says, April Rose has the proof. And I totally, I know that there's a scene where, like, the liars walk in and, like, I think accidentally kill this woman or something like that. Or, like, accidentally make her have a stroke or, like, her alarm bells, her alarms go off or something. <laughs> I totally forgot. I totally thought that this was this scene. And so I kept waiting for, like, Mrs. Reynolds to have a seizure or something. But it never happened. Yeah. Uh, this is something. Now, before I said that I would eat the cupcakes that um, that Paige had been touching but it really skeeved me out when Spencer touched the comatose woman's skin to get the note really? of the bracelet. Yes. I, I don't know. It just did. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I just more like felt felt sad for this woman that like this poor old lady has, you know, her, her son is accused of murdering two girls and then she ends up in the hospital and then this like weird teen detective girl is like sneaking around her hospital room like, <laughs> you know pet- petting her skin and pulling notes out of her bracelet yeah yeah that's that's really no good at all um we cut to emily and aria on the phone emily is looking up info on uh, meliza pam and worrying about Paige, realizing that it was her flask that was the source of the drugs um aria is like once again, like she ran around in circles so many times that she became really dizzy and is thus surprised that someone was screwing with Emily. Like A is always messing with them. Why is it a surprise that Emily's flask was drugged? But Aria nonetheless is taken aback. Uh, she on her end of the phone is looking at the Lucas negatives and uh, explaining how she has to smooth the waters after ditching Prezra uh, all night at the party the negatives are all of yearbook stuff, but then one of the film canisters contains, bom, 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 Meliza Pam. Yes, they're like giant horse pills, too. Like, did you see them in Arya's <laughs> tiny hand? Like, they're yes. yes. And also, I love Emily's, like, Emily's reading off the, the, um, like the, the nature of this drug and it's so specific it's like it's a special drug used for sleep disorders and aggressive patients and inmates and the chief side effect when mixed with alcohol memory loss <laughs> like 
no drug instruction has ever been so specific. Well, I mean, it could have gone on. Like, side effects include memory loss and grave robbing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you may feel the urge to stick your fingers in a bunch of cupcakes and search for a coconut one. You may. You may find yourself in a car being driven by your arch enemy who is no longer blind. Yes, you may show show up at the home of a of a poor love struck lesbian and kiss her and then run away and not remember. <laughs> Please discontinue use if any of the above occur. Oh my god, um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Those those giant those giant horse pills. Um, and again, like I feel like none of this really comes to anything, but okay. Um, our A tag, A is rifling through a bag and we see that it is Maya's bag. Um, there's like a bus schedule. There's Maya's wallet with her. There's um, the picture that Emily had sent, um, had sent Maya. Weirdly, it's like a printed out photograph, um, even though it looked like a like a picture with like a Snapchat filter on it or something. Um, and then we see a giant bottle of pills. Uh, that were prescribed to Maya. Now, this is an interesting moment because I think that this is actually A, I, but also I feel like this could be Nate. Well, and I think we're meant to think that it could be Nate because of that picture, which is the one that uh, yeah. the one that Nate had and that he showed Emily as proof of his identity in the previous episode. But I'm pretty sure that the bag situation is is Mona or Charlotte because later they have Maya's phone like there's that yeah. there's that end season where they're talking about like how they were going to plant the phone on Paige and then it was going to seem like maybe Paige had killed Maya so yeah I think it's it's the A team it's like Charlotte or or Mona who has this bag but I'm just going to say that as someone who uh you know in the salad days of me watching PLL and being very invested in the mystery, I looked at this A tag so many times to look at the things that were in Maya's bag to see what was going to make a difference. And there's like that little storage locker key that you see, and it, it, I, it has no significance ever again. Not ever again is that ever going to matter. They just put it in there to make people, uh, make people obsess over it and... Well done, props department. It worked on me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe we can talk briefly here. Does anything that they find out in this episode really have any significance? I mean, I guess it was like a revelation that Emily was drugged. Like, that was the only plot point that I said, like, kind of matters. But in the long run, it doesn't really matter if she was drugged or if she was just drunk except that like someone was hoping to make something bad happen to them which we already sort of knew right and lucas did we ever do we ever find out like that lucas specifically drugged her i don't think we do no no i don't think we do either yeah yeah it's 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 weird but i think what we do find out later is that that uh mona is not taking her medication and is like sneaking it out because um, there's like a weird scene where I think she gives Spencer some medication or like she gives somebody some medication. She gives somebody some bullets too at one point. 
which is weird. She has access to many things. She does. She does. Probably because of rent. Um, <laughs> yes. Who who was not at the hospital in this episode? Although many Literally. many hospital scenes lead to him. Although we did not see Paige getting treated for her head injury, so I presume that Ren is the doctor on call who stitched her up. Great um, point. Unless he was volunteer doctoring over at Radley. True, true. Good point. Good point. Well, he might have been he might have been doing both. Um so next episode is the remains of the A. Oh man, we get the money in the sock drawer. Oh, is that that episode? Because I weirdly like the next few episodes after that I remember very clearly. But remains of the A, I um oh Holden is back. Holden is back. We get the oh the whole thing with the stamp. Oh, okay. I'm 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 excited. I'm excited because then the episode after that is where we meet. Cece. Finally, Finally. Like, it is it is ridiculous that we are like so deep into this season and we still have not met Cece, although she is going to be the ultimate antagonist. That is just oh man. I mean, yeah. obviously they made that decision a long time after, but it was a it was a spectacularly weak one. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed it was. Indeed it was. Um do you have do you have any more any more any more last thoughts that you want to share on that girl is poison? No, I just um no, I, I feel like uh, you know, if you have any thoughts about what hat any of the liars would have worn <laughs> or what hat you would have liked to see or wear to that party, please uh please feel free to share. Uh yeah. And if you if you have any theories on who was who in a mask, maybe we didn't see Ren because he was wearing the Prezra mask, maybe yeah. actual, maybe actual Prezria were out having dinner at their reservation three towns over, and it was actually oh. like Mona and Ren who were out for a night at the party. I mean, I like that. I like that. I feel a little robbed that we didn't get to see Arya's interpretation of like high fat, high hat fashion. Like, well, it is. I mean. Where is Wilden to arrest these girls for an actual crime that we didn't get to see Arya wear one of her many amazingly weird hats at this party? Right, right. Like that one that was like an old timey like sleeping cap that like drooped oh. down low. <laughs> oh man. You you just know that she has like a hat in her closet that is composed like entirely of stuffed ravens. Like that is the one. <laughs> that I would really like to see her wear to this party. Yes. Yes. I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, if you have thoughts on the hats, this is the hat episode. Um, you can send us an email at everybody, at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybody, a podcast or send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Um, we will be back next week with the remains of the a, uh, yeah, chugging right along in 1A here. I mean, or 3A. We're like, we're, we're, are we at the halfway point already? We might be, or we're close to it if we're not. Um, yeah, it's, well, uh, Remains of the A is the sixth episode of the season. Yeah, and there's like, there's 12 episodes of the, of the half season. So yeah. Um, huh? Yeah, exciting times, exciting times. Uh, yeah, looking, looking forward to continuing. Yes, till next time. Take care.